we want to control how you're going to react to what, you know, I'm going to share with you. When I teach workshops, we, we talk about communicating and the biggest myth about communication is that we think it's done well <laughs> and it's not. And we harp on communicating. And this is where I, I tell individuals, over-communicate. I'd rather you over-communicate with me because then the opposite is totally extreme where you don't get any communication. But especially in corporate America and then in my role, you know, I have to be vulnerable myself as a leader, okay? That just helps gain that rapport and it helps gain that trust and that respect with who I'm leading. That is the voice of Nicole F. Smith. EQ coach, author, leadership and talent development expert, JMS Creative Leadership Solutions. She joins me today to discuss imposter syndrome and the collaborative book effort, Shut Them Down, Black Women, Racism and Corporate America. You're listening to the podcast with John C. Lemon. Ms. Smith, welcome. Thank you for having me. You have an upcoming event on November the 11th addressing the phenomenon of self-doubt and the fear of being exposed as a fraud, better known as imposter syndrome. Let me just say that imposter syndrome, 70% of professionals feel it. It's a matter of do we talk about it. More women feel it. And then we break it down into ethnicities because, of course, as Black women and Black men, there are other factors that play into this. So imposter syndrome is basically where no matter how many degrees you have, no matter how many letters you have behind your name, certifications, accolades, awards, whatever it may be, you still feel like you're not enough. You still feel like you need to do more or you're waiting for someone to call you a fraud. And it's not that anybody has actually said this to you. It's that self-talk, that persistent self-talk that creates that self-doubt. And you just start second-guessing yourself often and think you're just not good enough for whatever it may be, the next adventure you're going to, the next project you're going to work on, or the next role that you're trying to take. And John, what I see is that it can be debilitating. And it can literally stop people from leveling up in their career and taking that next step to truly unlock their potential. What inspired you to approach this subject? Is it a personal experience or work experience? How did this come about? A personal experience. (laughs) Um, And then as I have been speaking with other like-minded business women, And I mentioned, every time I mention the word imposter syndrome, they literally throw their hands up in the air and they go, oh, yes. But they don't call it imposter syndrome. They may say things like, I just don't feel like I'm good enough. Or, no, I'm not going to do that because I don't know that area when in actuality they do. So as I have been speaking with more business women, particularly business women, Black business women, it's been coming up more and more and more. And I'm seeing it as a theme. So yes, 
I experience it every once in a while. And there are tactics and there are tips and methods to help you help reduce that feeling, doing mindset work, affirmations, power of gratefulness. And just literally, John, when that self-talk starts to take over, you speak it out loud and say, no, not today. Not today. I know what I'm talking about. I have the credentials. And every once in a while, John, I have to continuously slide my credentials across the table to make sure everyone knows that I know what I'm speaking about. So it does come from personal experience. But truthfully, I did not put a label on it until probably about two years ago. I didn't have any idea what it was. And again, as I started speaking about it more, I'm seeing that more people experience it, especially my sisters, they're experiencing this bad. We need to talk about it to show others that we understand. We understand and that this is actually a syndrome where you can have methods and tactics to get over it, to overcome it, or at least reduce the feeling reduce the feeling because we all have self-talk. We all have negative self-talk. We always have self-doubt, but just making sure it doesn't become debilitating. Why do you believe this affects females more so than males? Oh, there's so many factors in society that tells females we're not enough. I mean, come on, we're not being paid the same as men. (laughs) We are being overlooked in certain areas, in certain industries. You see where there are some industries that are still male dominated, and it's hard for females to get in the tech world, the construction industry. Architecture is hard for females to to get in that industry as well. So there have just been factors that within society that has told women yeah, you're good, but not that good. Okay. Just look at it. We have, I believe, 37 female CEOs for Fortune 500 companies. Fortune 500 companies, we have 37 Mm -hmm. female CEOs. And we are 51% of the global workforce. How is it that we are more in the workforce and we have more degrees than men, but there are only 37 female CEOs. So we deserve to be at the table when decisions are being made. However, there are factors and there's people telling females, we're not good enough to be at the table. Okay. So I just need you to sit over there. Also too, when you realize what imposter syndrome is and stand courageously and say, yes, I've experienced this. Now, how do I decrease it? It just helps build that emotional courage for you to say, you know what? If I don't have a seat at the table, I'm bringing my own chair. Do you see an increase in readiness in the corporate space to accept women in different roles? Some, yeah, it's going to vary. We're moving the needle. It depends on the industry. You see where 2020 has shown us a lot. So you see some organizations now sitting back and looking at their diversity and inclusion initiatives and doing audits and doing assessments and doing focus groups to see where we can have more diversity. And then not just, you know, gender, but race and ethnicity as, as well, but specifically in genderism in that removing that gender bias, I see some organizations trying to move the needle. I mean, if you look at Europe, I believe in Europe, 40% of the boards of organizations have to be women. And if they're not women, they get fined. Okay. You know, Iceland is working on better gender pay, gender parity in regards to 
pay with men and, and women. And so they're moving the needle as well. You know, unfortunately, the U.S. is way behind. We're like 51 in regards to the, the country, in regards to uh, having women be equal to men in regards to the workforce. We are the top consumers in regards to contributing to the economy. And like I said earlier, we're 51% of the global workforce. So where's our seat at the, the board table? <laughs> you are also a part of a collaborative effort. That collaborative effort is titled Shut Em Down, Black Women, Racism, and Corporate America. It's where 20 women have come together and... Um, it's an anthology that Dr. Carrie Yazid approached 20 different women to contribute their story to a book that spoke about your experience that you may have had within corporate America that dealt with any type of racism or discrimination. I signed up immediately because <laughs> I thought, you know, it's time to share the stories Plus, I've been in the corporate world for 20 plus years, and there's different reasons why I decided to come out of the corporate world. But I have to say, I dealt with some discrimination and, and some racism, and I just decided, okay, you know, along with my other items, other long list of why I left, it was time for me to step out because it's exhausting, John. Some of the stories, there's some trauma behind the stories, but then it also shows how they triumph over their experience, and now how they're thriving. And unfortunately, sometimes the best method of some of the stories was the best solution rather was just to leave the organization. And then there are some situations where some legal issues really? had taken place. Yeah. So to bring us all together and, and as dynamic women, I mean, from all industries, all levels, education levels, it's beautiful in regards to all the women that came together to um, tell the story. Because if you don't tell the story, it's not going to help move the needle forward. If we just keep sweeping it under the rug, it's not going to move the needle forward in regards to diversity, equity, and inclusion, especially in corporate America. Was it difficult for you to learn that as a leader, being vulnerable? Because we want to have all the answers. We want to have all the solutions. How did you get to that place? Gosh, see, I was in the corporate world for 20 plus years on that last day. No, <laughs> it, you know, how did I get there? It, you know, mindset shifts, educating myself, um, increasing my emotional intelligence, my own personal development. I had mentors, I had coaches to help me. It wasn't something I did by myself. You know, as I speak about in my story, I talk about the journey that I was on. And I didn't realize it was a journey until about my 15th year being in the, the corporate world. I, I, you know, always said, oh, it's an experience, my leadership experience. And so I, I changed the verbiage to journey because it is a journey. Um, and in my learning and becoming vulnerable and becoming courageous, it was just different experiences, different things that took place within that journey that I had to learn from them or I celebrated them because they went well. But I would also too say that my mentors helped me and one or two coaches helped me along the way as well. And John, remember I said, mm. can't control the outcome. That's something I had to let go of. I couldn't control everything. And once I sat back and realized, I couldn't control everything and I can't control the outcome either. And I cannot control how 
you respond to what I'm about to tell you. My responsibility, I'm going to share with you. And then I'm just going to do the power of the pause. I'm just going to pause and sit back and see how you receive it and then go from there. And you raise that in your writing. The difference between an experience and a journey is the whole process of becoming. How do you differentiate that from an experience? The experience to me is we judge it in length because we expect the experience to have a start date and an an end date. To me, I always say it's like a project. (laughs) I had different experiences that were were temporary. Um, They didn't last always. And I learned from them, like, you know, nuggets within that experience. The journey for me is that we always need to be on a journey. We always need to be learning and planting seeds and always looking to see how we can become the best version of ourselves. That's a journey. It's like a nice walk. And with that, with my mindset and saying journey, my mindset shift in the fact that I don't have to rush. Um, It helped me gain some patience to know that not everybody's going to be on the same journey with me. People were coming in and out of the journey with me, and I was okay with that. And just take my time and enjoy the process. And I think that's where I fell in love. Once I changed it to journey, I fell in love with the journey of becoming the best version of myself. I started to really like who I was and who I was becoming. And the journey is not as passive as, say, just an experience. Right, right. You are interacting with what's going on in your life, responding. Responding um, to the things that came in and out of the journey, responding appropriately versus reacting, you know, irrationally. And I was able to drive the journey, if that makes sense. Sometimes when you have experiences, there are other people or other factors that drive it that control it to the point where when I say control it, meaning it's up to them how it's going to end. In the journey, this is my journey. Right. This is, I decide, you know, how I'm going to walk this journey and who is going to walk in this journey with me. Let me tell you, it's been a learning experience. I do stumble along the journey, mm-hmm. but that's it. You learn from those stumbles. You get up, you dust yourself off and you keep, you keep walking. You just mentioned owning the experience or owning the journey. You mentioned having two different female leaders. You describe the first leader as passionate, supportive, helpful. Then you describe the second leader in your life as not so much passionate. I think you even said that she was a little hard at times. You concluded from that experience that the hardest lesson you learned is that you needed to conform, that you needed to perhaps lose your identity as an African-American female and become something else if you wanted to fit in, be successful, and climb the corporate ladder. It was difficult because I was in my first, I want to say true leadership position, mid-20s. I did a little bit of leadership when I was in college. My leader, she was hard, and she was harder on the African-Americans because just as you said, there's a certain standard you know, we have as African-Americans and we have to conform. As I worked with her, I saw that she was, she wasn't genuine and she wasn't authentic. And every once in a while through some of our experiences that we had together, I would see a little twinkle come out in her where I was like, there she is. There's the real leader. There's the real person. And then she would just 
sink back in, like in the sunken place. <laughs> so she would just sink back in and conform. And she kept using that word conform, you know, to white corporate America, if you want to rise. I struggled with that because I held on to that for a few years to where I felt like I had to be what they wanted me to be. So this wasn't disguised. She just came right out and said, you need to conform. She said, you need to make sure you conform to the standards that are going to help you succeed and be successful in white corporate America. And I just sat there. Now, my, I'm mid-20s. I'm sitting there going, what am I supposed to conform to? What am I supposed to do? There's things that you're going to have to listen to. And sometimes you're just going to have to say yes and not give any you know, feedback. And you're going to have to uh, sometimes just listen and not say anything and just say, okay, yes, sir. I mean, it was just really rigid and really hard. You're going to have to dress a certain way. You're going to have to wear your hair a certain way. I mean, she was very rigid. We come in and we are the first ones in the office and the last ones to leave because we have to show them that we're dedicated and our work ethic. And, and I was like, really? <laughs> because for while I was working with her, I would get to work quarter to eight and I would leave quarter after five. And I was like, why am I doing this? Because I wasn't getting any accolades, having to wear your hair a certain way. And she said to me, you know, just make sure you don't put all that stuff in your hair. What stuff? And she was referring to like braids and, and so forth. So oh, she wanted to, us to conform and she was harder on the African-American Americans than she was the white colleagues. And we noticed it in meetings and so forth. How long ago was this? I'm um, Hold on. I think when my son was born... 98. So this wasn't terribly long ago. No, it was for a large retail company. And I will never forget, just to add to the story, when I got the job, John, I was seven months pregnant. Scandalous. <laughs> However, because I was no bigger than the size of a pencil at that time, you really couldn't tell. Well, when I started two, three weeks after I was offered the job, I came in and oh, I had blossomed a little bit. She looked at me, the same leader, and she goes, you're pregnant. I said, yeah, I am. She goes, if I would have known that, this day may look a little different. Excuse me? Oh, I knew the laws of human resources. And she said, they're not going to like that. And she walked away. Now, that, mind you, that was my first day. So I didn't know who they was when she said they. Otherwise, I would have questioned who they, who, who you're talking about. <laughs> but now today, when I sit back, I knew who she was talking about. She was talking about the white leaders. They weren't going to like that because I was in my first supervisory position. She taught me a lot. And I'm going to say that because every experience and every lesson that I've been through, you need to grab a nugget. You need to grab a nugget. And she taught me how I did not want to lead people. She was hard. She was hard. And she was hard at specifically on the African-Americans. I was told years ago that there's two different types of people in your life. The ones you want to emulate and the ones that, as you just said, you determine, I'm never going to be that way. I speak about in my first book that I wrote, you take all those nuggets, every experience that you had, good and bad, you decide what you want to do with that nugget. So I learned early on that I was going to shine those nuggets up. <laughs> shine those nuggets up and I was going to use them to help me succeed. You know, it, I'm going to use it to inform me and move me forward versus controlling me and holding me back. So somehow through that process, you're in your 20s, 
you found yourself. Absolutely. I found myself. I was a, a young mother and I started finding out who I was at that time or, or who I didn't want to be. <laughs> but so I held on to that probably until about um, early 30s. And then I realized, hold on, this is so uncomfortable. And I was exhausted because I was trying to be somebody that I wasn't. That was exhausting. It was exhausting. But like I said, I had another leader that was very encouraging, very compassionate, led people, led the charge, listened, was an active listener, was vulnerable. Now, mind you, this other leader, I'm still learning the stuff, mm-hmm. you know, that vulnerability, what are you talking about? You know, so I'm still learning this along my journey, but I liked what I saw. And so I was like, ah. <gasps> That's the type of leader. That's the type of person that I would love to be because her employees just flocked to her. I loved it. And you'll be surprised. I actually had two leaders that were like her early on in my career. And then later on, when I interviewed with her, I knew what I was looking for. And I said, I like that because I I had that experience before. And so I found myself looking for leaders like that. I'm going to say two words. Sister girl. (laughs) I was sister girl. (laughs) And it rocked me to the core. That's my response. I was sister girled. Tantalize us a little bit. Give us a morsel of what it meant to be sister girl. As an African American and specifically a female, I started going into my corporate roles as I moved up in leadership with the proper armor on because I knew what I was going to be dealing with. Okay. From my white colleagues, even white female colleagues, I go in expecting to, in the workplace, find my tribe, those colleagues that I can connect with that look like me specifically. And we try to make the workplace an enjoyable experience supporting each other, holding each other up, looking out for one another. However, when you move up in leadership, specifically as a a Black individual, there's expectations that I don't want to say I wasn't aware of, but just didn't think I had to deal with, maybe. Maybe there was a little blind spot there for me. But as my mentor said, you're going to experience this phenomenon. And I was like, what is this? And basically, it was being sister girled. And when you are sister girled, or what are you going to do for me, my brother? It rocks your soul so differently that you realize, why was I wearing all this armor for my white colleagues? I was blindsided. And so again, like you said, not to give too much of the, the story away, You just never really expect to be challenged by us. And essentially what sister girl means, your authenticity was being challenged. My character, what I stood for, my values, what I stood for in regards to my culture, yes, was being questioned. And we hold that dear because authenticity speaks to identity. It also, full circle, goes back to the idea of journey. And on that journey, the authentic self you're becoming becomes questioned by an unlikely source 
and you had to resolve that. I'm really big, John, and this is where when I coach my clients, I coach heavily on values. When you can identify your values and what you stand firm on and your foundation, it's easier to make decisions. It's easier to problem solve. It's easier to take all the emotional information that may be coming your way And now how do I use that to move forward? Because I stand in my values. This is where I say, if your values are not aligned with whatever you're working on or whoever you're working with or for, this is where that ache starts to come in, where you start going, I just don't feel right. It's because your values are not, you're not standing firm in your values. How do I rectify that when someone questions my authenticity, which that is on my website, that's what I value (laughs) It's what I speak on, my genuineness. I'm authentic. So when someone questions that, how to resolve that, I go back to my values. The book is titled Shut Them Down, Black Women, Racism, and Corporate America. We're also looking forward to the November 11th event. Yes, the Imposter Syndrome webinar. We are streaming live via Facebook on my Facebook page, which is Nicole F. Smith or John they can email me at Nicole Smith at jmscreatesleaders.com if they want more information about the imposter syndrome live streaming event November 11th at 7 p.m. Eastern. And also, too, if you're interested in an autographed copy of my latest book, you can email me as well. And I will make sure that you get an autographed copy of Shut Them Down, Black Women, Racism in Corporate America. Miss Smith, thank you for dropping by for today's conversation. Yes, thank you for having me again. I do appreciate you. Nicole F. Smith, EQ coach, author, leadership and talent development expert, JMS Creative Leadership Solutions. For more information on upcoming events and additional resources, visit jmscreatesleaders.com. That's our podcast for today. I'm John C. Lemon. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time.